slide? Almost. Change. I'm ready for change, 2020. 2020 has been quite the year, has it not? <laughs> I'm sure we'll all remember, we bought these little um, round ornaments, and I, I found them online. It's kind of a funny story. So I found these ornaments online. I was like, these are great. I'm all about memor or re remembering the year um, with ornaments. So we always buy stuff that represents that year for our family in an ornament form. So I found these ornaments, and they had all these things about 2020, you know, the run on toilet paper and all the masks and these things. So I paid an astronomical amount for these ornaments, and I bought them for me, for Tiffany. I'm sorry, you're going to get one of these. You'll find out about it. For Lynn and for Pam, for all my family. And I finally get them, and they're, like, from China, and they're super blurry. You can barely read what they say, but you're still getting it. And... Uh, <laughs> And, I, and so my mom, turns out my mom bought the exact same ornament from China and got the same. So we all have them. And she bought them for me and my sister, too. <laughs> so we get to have two, not one, but two of these high-quality ornaments. So if you're looking for a really high-quality ornament, I have some. Get you one? But 2020 has been quite a year. And I know that a lot of us are ready for change. But what if I told you that I know of a way that could nearly guarantee with 100% accuracy that you would continue to serve God, grow in him, and never backslide. Unbelievable? What if there was a way to know for sure that you walk with God? There's no guessing needed, no questions, just certainty that you know him and that he knows you. What if I told you that this thing could transform you and your life. What if? What if I told you that of all, all of this is possible? Not only possible, but within each of your reach. No matter how old you are, no matter how young you are. It costs no money, but it is beyond human value. And its worth is endless. It can be done anywhere and at any time. The Bible actually tells us to do it all the time. This is not a great secret of success, and it's certainly not hidden from us. The Bible references this thing almost 400 times. So do I have any kids? I know a lot of our kids are not here tonight because of COVID, but do I have any kids that want to guess what this is? Any children? Yes. Change? It's close. It will change you. Anybody else? What is this thing? The Bible references it over 400 times. Young people? Aubrey. I'm reading the Bible. That's a good one. That's not what I'm talking about tonight, but that is something we're going to be talking about. Young people, any of you got an idea? Michael, you're not a young person. <laughs> no? Okay, you can answer. Prayer. Prayer. I think you probably got the title slide. <laughs> yes, it is prayer. He got it. The elusive thing that has the power to literally transform your life. One simple word. P-R-A-Y-E-R. -E Prayer. 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 And as I say that word, some of you are so excited in your spirit because you know, you know the great power and this non-secret has on your life. But others of you, perhaps you groaned a little in your mind. If you're being totally honest. You thought, ugh, I really thought she had some good secret to share with me. It was going to make everything better. But prayer, hmm, 
that could not be it because you have heard a lot of messages on prayer. Raise your hand if you've ever heard a message on prayer. Yes, pretty much everyone in here heard a message on prayer. And the reason that you yawn, you say, oh, man, just another message. Dare I say it's because you have heard about prayer, but you have never lived a life of prayer. You see, we might have heard a lot of messages, and we've heard a lot of what we're supposed to do. Maybe you even tried it a time or two consistently, a day or two in a row, that you really, you did that. You, you prayed. But it never became your norm. And I'm not talking about saying a prayer. I'm talking about a life of prayer. It never became your norm, so it never became your power, and it never transformed you. If you yawn at the idea of prayer, then you really yawn at the idea of a powerful God. Because you see, prayer is our connection to that power. It is the thing that God has designed for intimacy and connection with his people. There's no other shortcut to it. It's through prayer. Prayer is his power at work in us and through us. You know, we don't just pray so that God will do the things that we ask. That's the, that's the intermediate baby, baby level of prayer, like, God, help me. God, help me. The baby level of prayer. And some of us never get past that point of just asking God, asking and asking for what we want him to do. And then we get discouraged because we're like, well, I asked God for that, and he didn't do that for me. So he doesn't hear my prayers. We have very strange ideas about prayer. You know, the Bible references prayer over 400 times, like I said. And I'm going to read in a minute of all the different things that prayer does in our life, I'm just going to read a few because I wanted to give you this handout of all the different ways that prayer transforms us and the powerful things it does. But the handout of the scriptures alone that said all the different, not repeated, all the different aspects that prayer produces in your life, it was over 12 pages long. So I couldn't give you all the handout. If you want all those scriptures, I'll send them to you, though, because they're powerful. All the different ways. You know, I could, when I was preparing this message, I'm like, this is a hard topic for me to cover because there are so many books on prayer. And there's books on prayer because you can't really begin to scratch the surface of the power of prayer. You need books and books and books to scratch the surface. But we don't just pray so that God can do the things we ask. We pray so that we, say me, so that I, I am transformed to do to, and to become to know him, to be like him, to become aware of him. We pray that our hearts and our minds might be brought into submission. I could write a book, like I referenced, filled with all the scriptures and all of the many benefits of prayer. Because prayer is so all-encompassing that it almost is something that you cannot completely express. I wanted to give that handout, but I couldn't. Twelve pages for each of you. So instead, I'm just going to briefly read a couple of references to start out with the effect of prayer and the power that is found within it. The first one is Philippians 4 and 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Do not be anxious. Prayer guards our minds. Prayer makes a way for the supernatural. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I tell you, whatsoever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Prayer allows us to express the deepest things in our hearts. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself intercedes with, for us with groanings too deep for words. 
You ever had something in your spirit that you can't even identify? If you, when you begin to pray and you begin to pray in the spirit, you will feel that thing. You'll feel it coming out in your prayers as you speak in that language that God has given you. As you speak in tongues. Because he's speaking that he is literally allowing his spirit to open up your heart and to carry forth the things that need to be said in the spirit. It's a powerful, powerful thing. Prayer guards us from temptation, Matthew 26 and 41. Watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Prayer keeps hope alive, Luke, 11, or Luke 18 and 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Prayer keeps us from bitterness, Luke 6, 27 and 28. But I say to you who hear... Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. Have you ever had someone you didn't like? Try praying for him for a while. Not praying that a rock will fall on them. Praying that God will bless them, and God will touch them, and God will help you, and he'll change you in that situation. Prayer draws us to God, Matthew 18, verses 19 and 20. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Prayer gives us wisdom, James 1 and 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So many situations that we face, we are stressed and anxious about simply because we do not pray. Prayer should always include repentance. And the only thing that can separate us from God is sin. Mark eleven twenty five. and whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So many things. Literally, I had 12 pages of these and just had to choose a few. So many things that prayer does in us and for us. But yet, it's this great secret, right? This amazing thing. All these powerful verses. We know in our heads that prayer is important. But why don't we do it? Why don't we spend a large amount of time in prayer? I'm not talking about just a, a little prayer here and there, but why don't we really pray? During this time of pandemic, we're seeing an unprecedented amount of issues within the church nationwide. And Refuge Church has not been exempt. I wish I could say it had been, but the, we've not been. I wish I could say that during quarantine, Christians were growing stronger in their faith and more powerful in the spirit. Some may, most aren't. There are some exceptions to the rule, but for the most part, what we have seen, everyone ready? Repeat after me. Christians became lazy. I have a picture. <laughs> Here, example A, quarantine Christian. <laughs> funny, but not funny, right? <laughs> Pastor referenced this in his message last week. He spoke of what COVID exposed. And what COVID has really exposed is weakness within the church. Now, this is not... This is, not a, um, this is not a mistake of God's that somehow, wow, look, the church is actually pitiful. This is God preparing us for the end time. Because the Bible says that whatever can be shaken will be shaken. And so he's giving us an opportunity to make sure we get these things that we have to have to make it, that we get them right before it's too late. 
He referenced that it had exposed, it's exposed so many weaknesses within the church. COVID has revealed that far too many people have a relationship with the church and not a relationship with the God of the church. I once heard it said that the older you become, the more or the more money that you have, you will simply become more of what you already are. A person does not just suddenly become generous when they have a lot of money. Show me someone who is generous with much money, and I will show you someone who is what's generous with a little bit of money. When the church doors were shut, and even now as people are in quarantine, we're seeing the same principle ring true. More time equals more of what you already are. For most, not all, but most of the churches and Christians in North America, that has equaled more news, more social media, more online gaming, and God forbid, more Netflix or more TV. People indulged in what was already the consumer of their time. And very few used the time to do what many pastors, preachers, and leaders encouraged. More time in the word, more time in prayer. We're so excited. You know, quarantine starts and we're like, yeah, days of no work. We're just going to sit at home and read the word and study and listen to messages. But we found that people, the more they have of something, they do more of what they already are. You see, the common excuse is that we don't have time to pray. We don't have time. We should, we know we should, we should pray. And we even really think that we want to. But quarantine revealed that that's not really the case. It was simply not a priority to us. Because we do not value it like we should. Because when you value something, you will make time for it. None of us forgets to eat, okay? Did you forget to eat today? Raise your hand if you forgot to eat. <laughs> Very few forget to eat because the taste of food, the effect of food on our bodies and our attitudes, the way, the way the lack of food makes us feel, well, all of that, it makes food a high priority to us. When I had COVID, I lost my taste. It was so sad. There's so many, I know people that have been like, I've lost my taste. Have any, has anyone here ever lost their taste before? Raise your hand. You ever lost your taste? Oh, sad, sad, sad. <laughs> so I lost my taste, and I was determined. I was like, you know what? I am, I'm going to drop that 10 pounds. I've been meaning to try and drop that 10 pounds for a long time, and I don't have any taste buds, so I am going to drop that 10 pounds. But you see, what I found was that I ate a salad for the first day or two, but after that, I realized that my body actually knew the difference without tasting it between salad and pizza. So the Hamiltons, they brought us pizza one night, and I had been eating some salads, and I'm just like, it wasn't even the kind of pizza I like, okay? It's a meat pizza. I'm not like a major meat pizza eater. I like veggies on my pizza, but this was a meat pizza, and I couldn't taste anything, so I was like, why not? I was lazy. I didn't want to get a salad. You know, COVID laziness happens to everybody. Um, I didn't want to get a salad, and I was tired of eating salad. And so I grabbed this piece of pizza, and I ate this piece of pizza, and after I ate it, because I couldn't taste it, I was really aware of the effect it had on me, the way it made me feel. So any of you that have lost taste, you should try this. It's a pretty interesting experience. So I just sat there kind of thinking about the way it made me feel. feel. And my stomach felt warm and happy. 
and my mind felt warm and happy, and everything just felt so happy and nice. And I was like, that's the effect of fat right there, fat in your diet. It made me feel different than that salad did. Because I wasn't eating high-fat salads, I guess. Maybe I should eat high-fat salads. But anyway, it made me feel different. It really did. Food, even if you can't taste it, you can feel the effects of it. So we make time for food because food matters. Food is important to us. Yet prayer and the word are actually exactly the same as food, but for our spiritual side. But we have a tendency to starve them. There are not many obese Christians. There are very thin, lean Christians. Not many that are overweight. Because we spend so much time in the word and so much time in prayer. And we just got this nourishment going into our body. We kind of just survive. Many, many Christians do. But they're the same way. They affect the way that we feel. They affect the strength of our mind, of our body, of our attitude. They change the way we feel. And yet we have become re masters of replacing them and replacing that need in our spirits with other things. So if you've studied nutrition at all, you've probably studied things that they call them food-like foods. Has anyone ever heard of food-like foods? No. Okay. So food-like foods are things that are produced, basically made out of chemicals, um, produced in big factories where they're not really real food. And they'll live on a shelf for years without ever expiring. An example of this might be a Twinkie. Okay? Things that come in boxes that will live forever. They're food-like foods. They're manufactured. They make us feel like we're eating a food, but we actually didn't really consume anything of nutritional value. And that is the effect that a lot of social media and things of that nature have on us. They make us, our spirits, feel like we're getting some nourishment, but it's a food-like food that's actually just harming us physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. It's just harming us. And so we've become masters at replacing that. So God has put inside of each and every one of us a very, very deep need, a very, very deep need for his spirit, for his presence, to be with him. But modern society and technology has allowed it to become that we can just, oh, this, this looks like a replacement. And we grab at something that's a replacement and don't realize that what we're feeding ourselves is a chemically produced product like a Twinkie. <laughs> And it's not really nourishing our spirit or our soul. And they are cheap, literally cheap substitutes. Do you ever notice how cheap that food is? Try buying some real food from the produce aisle versus buying a Twinkie. It's a lot more expensive because they're cheap substitutes for the food that God has designed us to consume. But that's really another topic. I'm not a nutritionalist. I do eat junk food, so... I shouldn't as much as I do. Not judging. I'm just saying. <laughs> I know, you know, it's a heavy thought to ponder. But it has really been brewing in my spirit for months on end about what we as Christians are feeding ourselves. The church, God's people, cannot and will not stand until the end if we cannot learn to pray. We have to learn to consume the right things. When Jesus was about to be crucified, the disciples found themselves in the same situation. The time was nearing. It was at hand. It was getting closer, just as it is now. But the disciples, they couldn't stay awake. Perhaps prayer was boring to them, and they were tired. They didn't see what was happening or what was about to become. 
they were weak and they were too full of flesh. And Jesus just kept coming to them and rebuking them for their lack of prayerfulness. I don't know, do I have any young people or children that would do something for me? I know it's Family Wednesday, so I'm trying to include you all in the message. Keep you. Um, but I need three kids. Any three kids willing to help me out? Three kids. If you want to help, just run up. Three kids. Three kids. Come on. Run, run, run. Three kids. And I need a fourth one to be Jesus. So, I got two. Come on. Come on up, honey. Go, Graham. You are great, Jesus. You're standing up. You're awesome. Yes, go, Graham. All right, ladies, you're going to be Peter, James, and John. Okay. So, I want you to do this for me. I want you to act like you're praying. Act like you're praying. Get on your knees. Act like you're praying. Jesus, you're over here. The scripture says they went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, sit here while I go pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. Can you become deeply troubled and distressed? Like you're about to die. <laughs> he is deeply troubled, and he's distressed. And he told them, he tells his friends, say, my soul is crushed. My soul is crushed. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here. And keep watch with me. So he's, he knows he's about to die. He's got this anguish going on. He is so hurting inside, trying to submit his will to God's will. And he just asks his friends, could you please stay and pray? So he goes on a little farther and he falls to the ground. <laughs> And he's praying, if it's possible, that this awful hour awaiting him might pass by. Abba, Father, he cried. Abba, Father. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. So he's having this time of just anguished prayer. He knows what's about to come. He returns to his disciples. And he finds them asleep. And he says to Peter, Simon, this one's Peter. He goes, Simon. Simon. Are you asleep? Are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Could you not watch one hour? One hour, Simon. Keep watch and pray, he says, so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is our flesh, say our flesh. Our flesh is weak. Weak. Thank you, guys. Give me a hand clap. Good job. And herein lies the problem with prayer. My flesh is weak. And your flesh is weak. Our spirits want to, and they need to pray. But our flesh it just keeps getting in the way. So how do you fix it? You know that you need to pray. And in this moment, you, you might even feel conviction. 
And you want to pray because you feel that convicting power of God. Because the word of God has opened your heart and the worship opened your heart and your eyes. And right now your spirit's responding to the word and you're saying, Lord, I've got to pray more. And we've all been there. We've all had those moments. God, I've got to pray more. And this is usually what happens in church. Deep conviction comes upon us and we see the will of God clearly. And our spirit, it literally rises up in us. Our spirit is rising up and it's saying, yes, God, I'm going to do that, God. It's what I want to do, God. It's like that song that says, my soul says yes to the Lord. We get all excited. Yes, it's so exciting. My soul says yes to the Lord. But a lot of mornings, my soul says no. Mm -mm. It goes, "Uh uh-uh. And when we're in church and the spirit is moving, our spirit just says, yes. Yes, God, sign me up. But when Wednesday morning rolls around, And that terrible music director had you at practice the night before until way too late. And your small group or your small group just went on and on and on and people would not stop talking. And you are exhausted and it's 5 a.m. Right then, that spirit, it's not feeling so strong. And your flesh, it's feeling really strong. So what then? What compels you to get out of bed and make prayer a priority? If prayer is so important that it will change your life, if it will completely change 2021 for you, it will change your home, it will change your family, it will change your church, it will change your vision, it will change your future. Why does our flesh still creep up and say, "Mm mm-mm, that's not important. I am more important. You must sleep. Sleep is important. It's simply because we have strong flesh and we have to learn the ways to overcome that flesh and strengthen our spirits. You know, God didn't make prayer hard on purpose. It's not as if he simply wanted to see who the truly strong were. He designed for us all to live lives of constant prayerfulness. It's not an option for only the very spiritual. He designed us to crave prayer, to crave prayer, like we crave food. He placed inside of us a need for prayer. And a longing for prayer. But we so often get it confused. And we try to replace this, replace this longing for his presence with other things. See this a lot in people's relationships too. If you're a young person and you're unmarried, there's a loneliness that accompanies that. And so often we f- try and fill that loneliness with another person. But I have news for you. That person will never say never. They will never replace that loneliness because that loneliness was designed by God. And it was designed by God for you to be with him and in his presence. The cry of our spirit is often confused with the whining of our flesh. And it's not until you truly begin to commit to a lifestyle of prayer that you will understand the difference. Prayer is not just a deep need, but it was a command for all saints everywhere. Romans 12 and 12 says, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Wait for them to. Ephesians 6 and 18. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Praying when? At all times in the spirit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. And it's in these verses that you find the commands to pray, but also the key to making prayer a priority. 
In order for prayer to become what it should be in our lives and for us to walk in it as God has designed, it has to become a constant. Say constant. I'm not talking about quitting your job to stay home all day and pray. Or quitting school and telling your parents, I am no longer learning because I am, not, I am now going to pray all day, every day. Depending on your age and maturity, I give you anywhere from 15 minutes to two hours before you would change your mind. God didn't mean that we should never do anything besides pray. But he was speaking of a constant state of prayer. That we would live and walk and breathe in a state of the spiritual and not the carnal. That prayer and the moving of the spirit is closer to us than the moving of our flesh for entertainment. And how is that accomplished? It is accomplished through consistency. It is accomplished when every day is devoted first to God above all else. It is accomplished when you set a time and a place that you spend with God, just as Job did and Abraham did and Daniel did. I find it so beautiful that God's design for man and women was originally that he came to find them and walk and commune with them at a specific time and place each day. This was such a habit of theirs that when they sinned and tried to cut off that communion with God, that God literally came and looked for them. He came and looked at the time and the place that he was used to meeting them. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he still desires to have a people that commune with him. He still desires to have a people that commune with him at a specific time, in a specific place, every single day. Say that with me. Specific time, specific place, every day. And if you don't already have a specific place and a specific time that you spend with God each day, you probably don't pray consistently. God wants and he longs to walk with his people. He longs to be with us. He longs to live in us. He longs to constantly be with us. And he wants to know you and he wants to be known by you. He wants his power to flow through you. He wants to replace your anxiety, your peace, and bring clarity of mind. He wants to give you wisdom and understanding in all things. He wants your heart to be pure before him. And he wants to make it so that you will never fall from him. But how is this accomplished? It is accomplished every single day. Day by day and little by little. And I know that I'm speaking to a group of people and young people whose heart's desire is to walk with God. If you didn't, you wouldn't be here tonight. You wouldn't be watching online. But we often get so emotionally charged without action. And so I want to call everybody to a life-changing action. To emphasize this, I'm going to share a personal story from my own life. I was raised in a very prayerful home. I saw consistency in prayer and the word and church attendance. That was, that was my life. I was very blessed in that way. I heard, had heard many, many messages on prayer, and I knew how powerful it was. But as a young person, I had not yet made any commitments to God in that department. And when I was 14 years old, I felt God's calling on my life. And shortly thereafter, an evangelist came to our church. I remember him preaching a message about making vows to God. And it was a heavy message. Vows are not to be taken lightly, and they are not to be broken. 
And so I remember weeping into the pew where I knelt at the altar. And that night, I made some vows. I failed to realize in that moment, as we often do, we don't realize the decisions we're making when we make them. We just think that they're isolated from the rest of our lives, especially as young people. You know, it's, it's always crazy to me that we get to decide who we're going to marry and that shapes the rest of our life when we have no idea. That's why if you're a parent, pray over your children. My mom, she prayed so much over me and Tiffany. She prayed for our spouses from the time. I don't even remember how old we were because she knew we were not wise enough to make that choice on our own. But God stepped in and helped both of us in a mighty way. Thank you, Mom, for praying for our spouses. And if you're a parent, you should. You should pray for your children's spouse because you just do not know. Your kids need so much wisdom in making that choice. But I didn't know. I didn't know the choice that I was making. And I vowed to God in that moment that I would pray and I would get into his word every day. I promised that not a day would go by without substantial prayer time and that every week I would fast at least one day. I was 14. And I have kept that vow to God, not through my own <laughs> greatness, but through the ups and downs of the teenage years, through college, through three babies, and into adulthood. There have been times that the time with God was not what it used to be in my young 20s, when I could lock myself away with God, no distractions. As I have journeyed through the seasons of life, that time looks different every day. Some days I wake up very early before the house has even begun to think about stirring so that I can have that time. Other times I have been up all night with a baby or a diabetic low and I have found God's gentle grace as he met me while I folded the laundry, unloaded the dishes. But you see, God comes looking for me every day. Because we've been meeting every morning for 22 years. How can I be that old? <laughs> every day. And I feel him calling and I feel him coming. Because it was a habit that God created inside of me. And because of those vows that produce the relationship I have now have with God, I have never had a moment where I have considered walking away from God or stopped growing in him. He simply didn't allow me to. And when you commit to every day spending that quality time with God in prayer, he will keep you no matter what comes. It is really only in a lack of prayer and connection that we are ever truly in danger. No matter what comes in this world, if we have that attitude and that relationship with God that is consistent, nothing can get to you. No matter what happens in this world, we're going to be victorious. And for some of you young men or women that are looking for a spouse, I will tell you that, that those were the exact traits that I found in your pastor. You see, at the age of 17, when he became serious about his relationship with God, he committed to the same times of prayer, Bible reading, and fasting that I did. We would not meet for another eight years, but one of the first things that attracted me to him was his consistency in prayer before all else. We'd be at Bible college, 
and all the kids are going to hang out, and we wanted to go hang out. But if he hadn't had that hour of prayer, we would wait until he had had his hour of prayer. And if you're looking for a quality spouse, I'll tell you, work on yourself. <laughs> Commit yourself and watch what God will do. So you want to see change in 2021? It starts with you. The ushers are going to come, and they're going to hand out a card to everybody. And these are commitment cards. These are not for me. They're not for pastor. They're not for anyone else to see. These are for you. These are your commitments to God. And I'll tell you, whatever thing that you feel in your heart, maybe you are someone that has that relationship with God already, and you walk with God, but you feel God saying, you could do a little more. You could do a little more. Or maybe you're someone that's never made these commitments to God. If you're a child, maybe you just say, God, I want to commit 15 minutes every day to you. It doesn't have to be huge and it doesn't have to be grand. It has to be consistent. And when you do that, God will change your life. So these are your commitments to God. And if you're at home and you don't have the, the link to this, I'm not sure if we were able to get a link or not to the handout. But if you don't have the handout, that's okay. You can take a piece of paper. And I encourage you to write those things that you feel God putting in your heart. Write those things and watch how they will transform your life. Put them on paper, put them in your Bible, and remember them. Because what you commit to God will determine your future. It will determine your destiny, and it will determine his power at work in you. It starts with you, and it starts with prayer. Acts 2.42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is the word, to the fellowship, church attendance, and being with the believers, to the breaking of bread, getting together with other believers, and to prayers. To the prayers, the prayers, the prayers. And so I want you to take these papers and pray over them. And as we close, I want you to ask God what he would have you to do and how he would have you to dedicate to him in times of prayer. If you're watching online, write it wherever. But get it and put it in your Bible and keep it close to you. And make those commitments to God because it will be what keeps you through the end time. You know, for our kids, like I said, maybe just 10 minutes a day. But for some of our adults, aim higher. If you only talk to God for 20 minutes a day, aim for 40. Aim for an hour. Aim for two hours. Whatever you're doing, let's aim a little bit higher. Pray and allow God to speak to your heart. And let's commit to allowing him to change us. You want to hear about a good resolution for 2021? Make some commitments to God that you keep. Not brazenly write out on a paper that you scratch off after the first month. But things that you say, God, I'm going to change my life because I'm going to commit this to you. So I'm going to now transition to the keyboard. <laughs> and as I do, I encourage you, let's all stand. And let's just begin to pray. You can find an altar here at the front if you want. You can find an altar at the altar, wherever you want. But I want you to pray, and I want you to take the time to let God speak to you, and then to make those commitments to him.